0: Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When I read... in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's see this. All good morning, it's a a great privilege to uh, be here this morning to continue our series from uh, you to enlighten our hearts, our our minds as we think about the church, to talk about the church and what it means for us as believers to live out our lives as the church. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to understand and to learn from you, learn from Christ, who has come for the church. And I thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of my um, favorite Christian artists uh, is Derek Webb. You know, remember him? You know, he um, obviously a lot has gone through his life recently with... uh, his downfall with the church and his faith and things like that. But, but right when he um, was fairly famous, you know, with the band Capeman's Call, you know, that was the first time I heard of him, and I thought it was amazing. And then when he came out with his solo album, I was immediately drawn to his music. And um, I was drawn to it because, you know, I've thought of him as someone who is thoughtful and provoking in his lyrics. And it's a great reminder. You know, a lot of what he wrote was a great reminder of the beauty of the church. And, and one of my favorite songs from his album, from his first album, it's called Der Church. Now allow me to read a few lines from this song as I uh, talk more about it in a minute. You know, so it starts out with the first verse. It says, I have come with one purpose, to capture for myself a bride. Now by myself... By my life, she's lovely. And by my death, she's justified. Now I've always been her husband, though many lovers she has known. And so with water, I will wash her, oh, by my word alone. And oh, by my, by my word alone. Now here's the chorus. Because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me. With no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. And so as I heard this song for the first time, it hit me like a lightning bolt. It made a huge impression on me on, on how I look at the church. Um, how I view the relationship between Christ and the church. And suffice to say that I know many of us here, you know, today, where we are, you know, we've been we've been hurt by the church. You know, we've we have, we have experienced tremendous hurt we have experienced brokenness we've experienced abuse from the church you know some of us have a lot of terrible heartaches coming from a church and and i would agree that the church has not lived up to its calling um especially of late you know as we think about some of the things that have been happening within our church how christians have behaved how christians have lived up to their name and so I would say that, yes, you know, there's been a lot of terrible things coming out of church. But yet, yet despite of her failure and her shortcomings, the church is still the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ that Christ came to redeem. And so God is still at work at the church. And it's continuously working to prepare her for eternity. Now, as I said, the church that has been made known to the world. You now it is glorious because it speaks of the beauty, beauty that God envisioned of what the church will be. You know, last week Corey talked about preach on Ephesians two, you know, which deals with with both the Jews and the Gentiles, but ultimately talking about this dividing wall of hostility being broken down to the death of Christ, so that Jews and Gentiles are brought in together as one body. As a church in unity. And in our passage today, you know, Paul's gonna reiterate this similar theme: this mystery of the Gentiles being incorporated. But yet Paul's gonna Paul's gonna highlight further not only what the past redemptive work of Christ meant for his people, but also how, as this as the Gentiles is being incorporated, what it means for them to be incorporated, what it means for the Gentiles now to be to be included the church so Paul talks about three things here you know he talks about the privilege talks about a proclamation and it talks about a purpose of the mystery and first we're going to talk about a privilege a privilege of this mystery now Paul in speaking to the church of Ephesus spoke of his calling as an apostle you know he was reminding them how it all started for him how he became an apostle what was going through his life before he became an apostle and how Paul uh, and how God has called him to be an apostle and then now Paul talks about himself as being a prisoner it's being a prisoner because he is literally in prison but it's interesting to know that that as Paul is introducing himself as a prisoner notice here that he's not saying that I'm a prisoner of Rome or Caesar, which he is. But rather, he is introducing himself as a prisoner of Christ. Now, isn't it bizarre to consider that? Why, why does he speak of himself that way? Now, the reason is because God has called him, has separated him, has set him apart to a life of service for God after God saved him. And part of the requirement, part of the calling of Paul is to serve God and to suffer all kinds of afflictions, including imprisonment. God has set him apart to be an apostle that would require him, in some sense, to suffer for Christ. And that's why he considers himself a prisoner of Christ. You know, God has called him and led him to be an apostle for the Gentiles. It's a calling based on a mystery revelation that he received from God and this mystery as paul mentioned here is that gentiles are now included into this church into the body of christ but you and i know that as, especially if we're well versed of the bible you know we think that you now why why is this such a mystery hasn't the old testament spoken a lot about how you know god has come for the nations and you think about passages like Genesis 12 and Isaiah 40 and many other passages in the Old Testament all testified about this idea of, of the nations, where God has come for the nations. It's not much of a mystery if God has already mentioned it, isn't it? But yet, while the plan is true, while God said that He did come for the nations, but yet part of the plan has not been fully revealed until until the coming of christ you know it's like it's like someone opening a present you know opening the wrapper of the present as you continue to open the wrapper more and more of the present is revealed and so in this sense you know god has been slowly revealing his plan to the people yes he had mentioned of his plan but yet he's slowly uncovering and revealing until the time of christ until when the time is right when christ came and then this mystery is uncovered, and is made known to the world. And Paul and God is using Paul to champion His vision for the Gentiles. But yet this this calling for Paul will cause him will 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 cause him because he will suffer for Christ. He will suffer greatly. But here's the thing too. As Paul suffers, he also considered it a privilege. He considered it a privilege to suffer for Christ because of the grace that God has saved him, God has called him. He was glad to suffer for Christ because of the love that God had showed him. You know, he mentioned further in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, Paul speaks of this indeed, I count everything as lost. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake I have suffered all things. The loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the Lord. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may suffer his and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death. And so you see, Paul here considers his suffering as a privilege at expense of the Gentiles because of the implication of what it means for the Gentiles. Paul gladly suffers for Christ for the Gentiles because not only has he received grace from God, but God has also showed him what it means for Gentiles to be included. And to understand the gravity of of what this means. I know, you know, for us as believers today, you know, we have read the Bible. You know, we ourselves, you know, have experienced the grace of God. You know, we think, what's so great? You know, what what's so great about this whole idea of Gentiles being included? Well, I mean, since we're all Christians, right, we're all believers now. We are all considered Gentiles, and we have now come to faith. But what, what's so great about it? You know, what, what was it? Sorry, let me... You know what is so great about this whole mystery that, that they are now included? I mean, you know, we sometimes don't appreciate it because we don't live in that situation. We don't live in that time. But listen to what James Boys in his commentary said, you know. He said, it is true that God announces intention to save Gentiles as well as Jews from the beginning. But before the coming of Christ, it was understood that it was to happen only as the Gentiles become jews through proselytizing you know, a gentile in those days could approach the god of israel but only as an israelite he had to become a member of the covenant people to the rite of circumcision so what it means is that you know in order for gentiles to be included in the family of god in those days they have to be circumcised they have to go through that pro- whole rite of circumcision to be made you know of, to, to be included in the family of God. But this new thing, as, as James Boyd said, revealed to Paul is that it is no longer necessary for the Gentiles to go to that right. Why? Because Christ has broken down the wall of hostility, thus making one new people for himself. And therefore, Paul declared in verse 6 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, just as the Jews. And what this means is that first the Gentiles then have equality in status with the Jews. You know, imagine some of you may may have gone through the process of adoption. You may understand what the, the gravity of it. You know, imagine for someone to adopt a child, right? And this child then and as you adopt him or her, is welcome into the family and is regarded as a family member. Just like the rest of the, your bio, biological children. You, you, can, you don't consider this child to be a, you know, a second-class citizen, in a sense. Or you don't consider this child to be an outsider because you have brought this child into your family. And that's what God is telling the Gentiles. You are part of the family, too. You are a part of family by faith in Christ. You are no longer considered an outsider. You are part of the family. You, are, you have equal status with your Jewish brothers. And this is the beauty of what it means to have equality. This is what it means to be fellow heirs. And similarly, you know, as, as you think about what Paul is saying here, The Gentiles are no longer second class. They are no longer in the outer circle. And Paul takes this further in Galatians 3.28. He made it even clearer for us to understand. You know, when he said that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to promise. Now Paul takes this concept even further, where he helps us to understand that in Christ, this dividing wall of hostility, you know, has been broken down, where male and female, you know, where the poor and the rich, Jews and Gentiles, all have equal status before God, that God looked to them with equality. He understands that. Every one of them is in need of the saving grace of God. That by faith, when they do come to him by faith, they are all received by him. And so this is the beauty of this promise. That God has said that all of us are equal in his sight. And then there's also the privilege of unity that the Gentiles receive. Not only unity, but unity in their diversity. They're no longer made to look like the Jews, where they, have gone through, where they have to go through a certain rite. But now they are made to fellowship with the Jews in unity. You know, God has brought together and built them together into one body. You know, Paul in other parts, particularly in 1 Corinthians, expound on what it looks like, what it means for people, for Christians to live together as a body. You now we're all created differently, all given different abilities and gifts, you know, just like a human body with different parts. The whole body then is being held together by every supporting ligament. The whole body is growing together and, and held together by, by all the ligaments, building together, joining together for the purpose of growing up in love and support of each other and God is telling us as believers you know as the Jews and Gentiles are brought together and as he's also telling us that we are all made up of different parts that God has called each and every one of us from all different backgrounds different nations you know different experiences in our lives and he has brought us all together to live together as one body not to make us all like each other but ultimately That in our own uniqueness we can come together to support one another, to help the body grow together. And so here we see how each of us in Christ, each of us in Christ are indispensable because everyone plays a part in the body of Christ. Everyone has value, everyone has significance regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have experienced in your life, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your color, your languages, your tongues, whatever it is, that when we come together, when we incorporate it together, each of us have a part. Each of us is made indispensable in Christ. And regardless of your disability, regardless of your economic status, you are all made together in one body, that you have value in Christ. But yet there's a sense too that this unity that Paul talks about is something that we must continue to strive and grow together and love. How can we continue to remain united? Not simply because of our own strength or not simply because we want to do it, but Yes, it is, it is true that we have to strive to do that together, but yet we have to look to Christ to help us to do that. This is not something, this unity is not something that we can conjure up on our own strength, but it's something that we continue to look to Christ, look to our Savior, look to His grace and love to help us. And then finally, Paul talks about this privilege that the Gentiles have, the privilege of security, security for the future, You know, the Jews and Gentiles are all made partakers and sharers in the promise of God because they are now co-heirs as the Jews. Therefore, all the present and future blessings and promises of God are theirs too, just like it is ours today. No, your inheritance, your place in eternity is made secure by Christ and that it will never that your identity in Christ will never be taken away that your love in Christ will never be taken away because of what he has accomplished for us and that is the privilege that all Christians have that all Christians Jews gentiles have that all Christians regardless of your situation have in Christ and this is an amazing and wonderful news especially for for some of us who who lack things you know who have struggles you know who find ourselves you know underprivileged that we can all have this hope and this assurance that in Christ we are made partakers of the riches of Christ that we share in his inheritance that we share in the love of Christ for us and so this is the privilege of this mystery that Paul is talking about and secondly We're going to talk about a proclamation of the mystery. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said in his sermon that every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You know, you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Now, Paul knew firsthand what the gospel of grace did for him. He experienced saving grace from God, and it changed him remarkably. It transformed his life. Now, he now found himself living with a renewed sense, with a renewed passion for God. He, co- he now lived in this sense of purpose for God, but ultimately marked by the humility that comes from grace. No, as it is often, Paul considers himself to be the least of the saints. And you know, he calls himself elsewhere the chief of sinners because of his past life as, as a persecutor of Christ. You know, back then he thought of himself as doing God's work by persecuting Christians. But in actual fact, he was made known that he was actually opposing God. But yet Christ sought him and saved him and his life was filled now with a profound sense of gratitude for God, because of what God has done for him, and the grace that God extends to. him because we realize that we ourselves are not that great, but rather God is great, and God is gracious, and He has done great things for us. You know, one one of the favorite, my favorite verse in the Bible that I often have to remind myself. Is you know, it comes from John 3.30. This is John the Baptist's famous words to his disciples. You know, when, when the disciples of John the Baptist came to complain to him about Jesus stealing his thunder. You know, Jesus came to steal the sheep of John the Baptist. You know, because, and, and John said in verse 27 onwards, you know, let me read to you for, for, the, for the purpose of context. He said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And this is that famous line. He must increase but I must decrease. You know, what an amazing declaration from John who understood that there's no stealing thunder here. No, I, John the Baptist, cannot be compared to Jesus because I am a forerunner. My work is only in preparation for the true Savior in Jesus Christ. And so if he is calling people to himself, if he's calling my disciples to himself, so be it. Because he must be greater and I must be less. And this is the verse that I often have to read and remind myself of, you know, especially when considering you know, considering the moments where you know any hope of of arrogance and pride in me, you know, will cease whenever I think about this verse. Now, this is a verse that Christians need to continuously preach to themselves daily to remind them of the grace of god so that any ounce of pride any ounce of arrogance in us, any ounce of self-control any ounce of of thinking of the greatness of ourselves will cede to the humility that grace brings to us you know as grace humbles us as grace humbles paul's it leads to actions you know, Tony Merida in his commentary said, when you view yourself as the least of all the saints, you will gladly serve the least of the people. Grace humbles you and calls you to identify with everyone, including the poor and the weak. No one is beneath you. And that's what grace does. Grace calls Paul, you know, this, this Pharisee, this great Pharisee, And humbles him, calls him now to serve the Gentiles. This great Jew, as he was, is now called to serve the Gentiles. And two things about Paul's calling. First, he's called to proclaim the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. He's called to point them to Christ so that they may experience his grace and truth and worship the one true God. Now, this is quite a remarkable turnaround for Paul, but it only further emphasized the grace of God. You know, in an upside-down kingdom of God, we see how grace turns, turns foes to friends. We see how the grace turns terrorists to preachers. We see how the grace of God turns sinners to saints. You know, as I read the Jesus storybook to my kids, you know, one, one of their favorite story is the story of Naaman and the servant girl. You know, as, as you know about the story of Naaman, you know, Naaman's army killed the family of the servant girl and destroyed her homeland and then exile her to Syria. And yet when Naaman was sick, you know, Naaman, this, this Syrian officer, was sick this poor servant girl cares so much for him by pointing him to the place where he can find cure And you know what compels her to do this what compels her you know to love Naaman in that sense it's the grace of God it's the grace of God that turned her from hate to love and in this sense, it's the grace of God that turns Paul as the chief persecutor, as the terrorist into a preacher of Christ. You know, because Paul was so captivated by God's grace, he was compelled, he was consumed by this passion to serve God that despite of of the situation that he's now in, he still considers it a privilege. Now, Paul understood that no one is beyond the saving grace of God. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. Even if it meant that his enemies are being saved, he is glad to do so, and he is glad to suffer for them. Because God is able to save even the worst, the vilest sinners of our time. And it encourages us to think about what it means for us, even as believers today, to proclaim the gospel of Christ to the people that we don't know, the people we don't like, the people that may we may consider enemies of us. What does it mean for us, even as Paul is saying, as Paul is showing us here, as Paul is modeling for us here, to preach the gospel, to point people to Christ, people who may differ from us, people who may share a different opinion, a different voice from us, people who may look different from us, people whom we may consider enemies, people whom we dislike, People that we don't want part of in our lives. What does it mean for us to bring the gospel of Christ to them? What does it mean for us to be saved by grace? To experience the grace of God. To experience this unsearchable riches of Christ in our lives. That she changes. That she convict us of his grace. That she convicts us of, of the humility that Christ bore for us and causes us to exhibit that same humility and to bring his gospel to other people. What does it, what does it mean for us? You know, I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer it. And I hope that, that God is speaking to you as you consider what it means to point people to Christ who are different from you. What it means to live for Christ and to exhibit that humility among people who are different from you. And then secondly, as Paul is called to preach the gospel, he is also called to bring light to all people regarding this mystery that is now uncovered. Now Paul's point here is that he has been called by grace and empowered by grace to enlighten and to illuminate others concerning this mystery of God. Not only does Paul Wants to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He wants others, perhaps even Jewish Christians, his contemporary, to be captivated by the fact that this mystery of God, this mystery, great mystery of the church, is now being made known, that the Gentiles are now incorporated into the family of God. This is what Paul desires even for his contemporary to know. And he's here not only to preach the gospel to the, to the unbelievers, but it's preaching the gospel to the believers too because they need to understand that God's grace is greater, it's far greater than they can ever imagine. God's saving work is far greater than they can ever imagine. That this group of outsiders, that the Gentiles, you know, people that they may not like, people that they do not share fellowship at all, people that have, they, have no, they want no part of, they, by faith, by faith in Christ, are your fellow brothers and sisters. And I, Paul, want them to know that they can be incorporated in the family of God just as you can. And Paul is encouraging fellow believers to take all of this truth to take out this truth, to understand that people, despite of who they are and where they come from, by faith can be incorporated into the family of Christ. And this is where, you know, many of our great missionaries today have been captivated by this grace of God, captivated by the message of Christ, where they have taken the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. You know, we see these great missionaries such as Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Watson Taylor, you know, John G. Payton, David Brainerd, Amy Carmichael, and so many others fulfilling their calling to take the gospel of Christ to the ends of the world so that people, you know, so that outsiders, so that people who are not like them can come to faith in Christ. Now it is inspiring to read about their their labor and their commitment to Christ, but yet Brothers and sisters, make no mistake that this is our calling too. Now we may not be an apostle like Paul, you know. We may not be pioneer missionaries like these men and women, as I mentioned. We may not receive direct revelation from God, but make no mistake that we have the same responsibility as this, as these men and women that we are called to bring the gospel. We're called to proclaim. The gospel will call to point people to this great mysterious truth of the gospel of the church that people of all nations and tongues and tribes have access to the same God. Jews and Gentiles of all nations can come to God through faith in Christ, and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be safe and that is this great mystery that paul now proclaims that he encourages us to proclaim and finally we look at the purpose of this mystery you know our glorious eternal god has a plan from the beginning to incorporate both jews and gentiles into his kingdom his the inclusion of the gentiles make no mistake is not an afterthought it's not a plan b Or last minute change that God has a change of heart that he wants to now incorporate the Gentiles no this is part of his grand eternal plan from the beginning now by faith everyone who calls upon the name now have access and confidence to approach the living God no more sacrifices no more rituals are needed because Christ had fulfilled it now as Christ gathers his people his reconciled people together They are called to live together as a church, as a body of believers. Now, I hope you realize, as I've mentioned earlier, when I talk about a church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking only about Trinity Park Church. I'm talking about the gathering of all believers. You and I are the church. We are individually as the church, living as a church, collectively as well living as a church. As Christ gathers his people, we are the church. And God has a high regard for his church, which is why he sent his son Jesus to die for the church. You know, remember the words of Jesus to Peter. Now, after Peter betrayed him, I remember what Jesus told, uh, asked Peter. You know, Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, you know, I do. Right? He responded three times, yes, you know, I do. But three times, Jesus responded in different variations. He told Peter, feed my lambs." Secondly, he told Peter, if you love me, tend my sheep. And then the third time, he told Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. What he's telling Peter is, Peter, if you love me, Care for my church. Peter, if you love me, support the church. Peter, if you love me, love the church. If you love Christ, you will love the church. You want to see her prosper. You want to see her lifted. You want to see her thrive. You want to see the church displaying her glorious beauty that reflects her creator. And how does the church? display her beauty. Paul said, to the displaying of God's manifold wisdom here. What does that mean? You know, the church is called to proclaim God's wisdom, God's manifold, God's multifaceted, God's variety of wisdom to the world because we are recipients of His wisdom to the reconciling work of Christ. You know, God's wisdom is said to be manifold because it is... It is multifaceted. It is different in so many ways, which explains why our God is such a beautiful God because he's so creative. His wisdom is unsearchable. It's so beautiful because it comes in so many different forms. And it also reflects the beauty of his diversity in creating people of all kinds. And so God is calling the church to proclaim this multifaceted wisdom of God. To who? Well, Paul said first, you know this this whole idea of proclaiming God, proclaiming the wisdom of God, testifies to the heavenly beings. Wait a minute. What what does that mean? Is he talking about angels? I think so. You know, verse ten. You know, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I believe he's referring to the angelic beings in heaven. You know, God's marvelous work is to be displayed and proclaimed so that all of creation, including the angels, will praise him and give him glory. You know, one pastor said that God's redemptive purposes are of interest to angels and the whole host of heaven who are better able to glorify God when they behold and wonder what God has done and does in creating the church now isn't it wonderful to know that the work of God is being appreciated and marvelled by the creation by his, his great host of witnesses in heaven that there's a greater host of witnesses that that marvel at his work than we can ever imagine you know that his work is appreciated by the heavenly beings even when his own image bearers do not appreciate god is going to get his glory regardless of whether we give him glory or not that his that the whole universe that he created will give him glory despite of whether his image bearers will or not but it's wonderful to know that that god receives the glory that he that he deserves that the angels rejoices at the work of God. You know, after all, Jesus himself said in Luke 15, Just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And our angels are great witnesses of God. Now, even if his work is not appreciated by, by us, that the angels will give him glory and praise him for what he has done in his redemptive work for his people. But not only does this wisdom of God is being displayed and proclaimed among the heavenly beings, I want you to see that his his wisdom is also manifested in this world through the church. That the church, the body of believers, we are called to bring his wisdom to this world. Now, The church is the representation of Christ on this earth. They are the focal point of Christ's work. Christ lives in the church because Christ lives in us his spirit lives in us and therefore I would argue that that it is impossible for anyone to want to experience the fullness of Christ's work unless they are part of the fellowship of believers unless they are part of the body of believers part of the church and I hope you realize as I mentioned over and over again that the church is not the building it is the people of God is the body of believers. And what that means is that the church is everywhere. The church of Jesus Christ is everywhere. The church of Christ is at your workplace. The church of Christ is at your school, at your colleges, at your home. Where there are believers, that's the church. Now, as the church is all over, it becomes a platform for us to model Christ. To model Christ to the world, to model Christ in our workplace, to model Christ at our, ha- at our home, to model Christ in our workplace, in our schools, in our colleges, in everywhere we go. You know, each of us are walking testimonies of God in this world. And Paul is a walking testimony of God to the Gentiles. And not only does he testify about God, about Christ, to the people through his preaching, he's also testifying the work of Christ through his own life, through his own suffering. You know He's used his own suffering as a means to point people to the greatness and grace of God. And he said elsewhere that his suffering leads to the salvation of people and it brings life to them. That's why he said at the end, do not lose heart or do not be discouraged at this situation because it is for the glory of God. Now Paul says in my life My preaching is to model Christ to the Gentiles, to the people. You know, His suffering is a platform for others, for the world to see Christ, and so it is ours too, as believers in the Lord. You know, the church, despite of its flaws and failures, that God, the the church that God has envisioned, is called to bring the gospel hope to the world through her preaching and through her life. We're called to model Christ in everything that we do in joy and in sadness in, in peace and in suffering. We're called to model Christ. We're called to unite together to proclaim the wonderful greatness of God and grace of God. And I know that That, you know, in recent times, the church has suffered because of all the divisions that have happened. The church has gone through a lot of struggles of late. Now, I was was joking with, with, uh, in presbytery presbytery meeting yesterday, I was joking one of the pastors that, you know, as we were talking about what, what what it's like for us to pastor the church in this difficult time. In this past 18 months, I was joking with him saying that, you know, I don't think I know how to do it because I don't think there was ever a seminary class that prepares you on how to pastor to a pandemic. Because there is none. You know, none of us know how to do this well. We struggle because, because what, what we've experienced in the past 18 months is unreal, it is so incredibly challenging. You know, you have people from all over, people from all spectrum, all have questions, all have concerns. You know, they're, they're, everything that you do is being scrutinized. And so it is incredibly hard. But at the same time, you know, you think about what, what has happened in the past 18 months is that, you know, we have all lived in this sense where it's, it's so incredible hostile and divisive in how we live you know, as human beings as well as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, we have learned we have to learn how to cope through a pandemic. You know what it means for, for us as believers to be masked or unmasked, to be vaccinated or be unvaccinated. You know, we have to live together as believers, what it means for us, you know, to to vote for the Democratic Party or to vote for the Republican Party we have to live together as believers what it means for us you know to to talk about the role of men and women we have to live together what it means for us to understand you know everything that that we differ in everything that we struggle to understand from each other that is incredibly hard and i see it as as being more and more divisive as we continue to live more and more in this whole situation. As we think about what is going on in the world, now I can tell you that this is something that, that I am not prepared. I was never prepared for this. And I myself is struggling right now to try to figure out what it means for us to live together, what it means for the church to come together. It just seems... At times it seems defeated to think about what it means for brothers and sisters who all share the same faith in the Lord, who all share Christ, who share in His suffering, who share in this redemption of Christ, who are called to come together as the church to live together. I don't know what it means at times. As I look at the world, I feel defeated at times. But yet I'm hopeful because I know what Christ has done for the church, that despite of her flaws, the church is still the bride of Christ. And God is continuously perfecting her bride. But yet what it means for us as believers, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, as people with differing views, that's something that we all have to ask ourselves, what it means for us to come together. One of the things that, that the world has shown us of late is that you know, we're very good at finding our own tribes and living among our own tribes. And the threat of, uh, of uh, tribalism is real. You know We are comfortable in finding our own people who share our own views and living together. And what that means for others who don't share our views, that we tend to ostracize, we tend to demonize, we tend to judge. And so it is incredibly hard. For us to come together, but if we understand what what God has intended for the church to come together, now we see how God Himself has broken down this divided wall of hostility. Who are we to bring up this this other wall of hostility among our own brothers and sisters? If Christ has broken down this greatest wall of hostility, who? are we to dare to bring anything else between Christ and the church? If brothers and sisters in the Lord have been reconciled by, the, by Christ to the removing wall of hostility so that they're joined together as one body, if we have experienced this unity in Christ, do not know how to live together in one body, then there is no hope for the world. There is no hope for the world. If we do not know how to love each other well, if we do not lo- know how to love each other in spite of our differences, there is no hope for the world. Yet despite of this, I know that, that God is still at work and God is continuously working in us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know it because Jesus has died for us and Jesus has called us to do so. And so my prayer is that may we continuously are reminded of the glorious grace of God, of this glorious mystery of God that, that he has broken down this dividing wall of hostility for us and calls to live together as believers in the Lord. You know, let me end by, by quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, We are all equally sinners. We are all equally helpless. We have all come to one and the same savior. We have the same salvation. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same father. We have the same trials. And finally, as the church, we are all marching and going together to the same eternal home. Let me pray. You know, Heavenly Father, as I ponder upon this great mystery of God, you know, I am I'm humble and I am sad to see what it has what it has causes you to to redeem us and to to unite us to Christ. But yet I'm I'm lamenting and, and saddened by how how much we, as your bride, have taken you for granted, have, have taken your, the work of Christ for granted, and how we seem to have erected more and more walls between us and our fellow brothers and sisters, despite of, of this great wall that you have broken down for us. I pray, Lord, that, that as we think about our own lives and what it means, you know, as as a redeemed fellow brother and sisters in Christ, as, be, as redeemed sons and daughters in Christ, help us. Help us to know what it means in our own lives. I pray that you humble us and remind us of your grace, and to know what it means for us to live as brothers and sisters in the Lord, in unity, in the unity that you have established for us. What it means for us to live with someone who does not hold our views, who does not share our opinions about certain things, but yet someone who is a brother in the Lord because he and I share the same faith in God. He and I share the same Savior in Christ. I pray that you will call us and remind us of what it means because ultimately we are all heading to the same destination. We're all called. To the same destination i pray that you would unite us in christ once more and you continue to reunite us remind us of this this work that we're tasked to do help us to model christ in our lives daily as we model to the world help us to model christ daily as we model to each other to other fellow believers. Help us to point each other. Help us to grow in unity. Help us to lift each other up as a body, as a church. And Lord, you have made it known to us that you have come to die for the church. And if we love Christ, we will love the church. We will love the people. And we will love each other. We will call to love each other. We will call to support and live each other. We will call to encourage each other. We will call to weep for each other. We will call to disadvantage ourselves to advantage each other. I pray that you help us to think through that and what it means for us individually. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen.